0: It is good to be back. So we went home, as they say. It doesn't feel like home so much anymore. Um, I do, oh boy, you guys are missing out here that haven't been out west. They have real trees, (laughs) big mountains. uh, So the Black Hills are a blessing, but... If you haven't seen some of the real mountains, well, Colorado, some of you go to Colorado. I guess they have some similar mountains that are almost as good, but but Montana's beautiful, absolutely beautiful, Idaho, North Idaho, so, but it is good to be back. Thank you all for being here this morning. You guys probably decided to show up because you thought Brother Brock was going to be here again, (laughs) so if you knew I was going to be here, you probably would have laid out maybe, I don't know. Some of you are smiling this morning. Rough crowd. Good to see y'all. James chapter 5 this morning. uh, We'll pick up, uh, we finished up a couple weeks ago, I guess it was, in uh, chapter 4. And so we'll begin looking at chapter 5 this morning and, you know, I'll be honest with you, as I have been reading James and, and going back and reading Parts of the chapter that I've already taught on, there's a lot of stuff I feel like I missed. And so, I won't weary you with going back and rehashing a lot of it. Uh, Well, I mean, Lord willing, we'll see what the Lord has for us, but I noticed some things that I was reading yesterday, and I thought, man, how did I not bring that out? And so, uh, forgive me, and thank you for your patience as I uh, learn to be a better teacher. Uh, But this morning, we're going to talk about Filthy Rich, James chapter 5. We're going to be primarily in verses 1 through 6. Uh, Really, I don't know if we're going to touch quite a lot on verse 6, but um, let's begin reading verses 1 through 6 in James chapter 5 this morning. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasures together... For the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I pray that you would meet with us this morning in the Sunday school hour. I ask that your word would go forth with power. And Lord, that you would do a work in each and every heart that would draw each one closer to Christ. Lord, that we would leave this place more like Christ because of what we learned today. And I pray, Lord, that you would just bless each Sunday school teacher this morning. Lord, we ask for a special anointing that you might uh, meet with us in a special way and do a work that only you can in each and every heart that folks could come to Christ, and Lord will give you the glory for all that you do. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So Filthy Rich this morning, uh, compared to many people in the world, we are indeed blessed here in America. Uh, I don't think there is any doubt, Um, I don't know how many, how many of you have traveled outside the United States at all? Uh, I've traveled quite a bit, um, and I've been in very uh, poor parts of the world, Um, and so the things that... Uh, The people of America that say that they're poor um, have really no idea what true poverty is. Um, And you see some of the things that other uh, people in other nations across the world face. And then uh, the reality is most people in America uh, oftentimes maybe they're destitute because they're not laboring or working. Um, There's a lot of opportunity in our nation. And so um, we are truly and blessed. and uh, I don't think anybody would doubt if you look throughout history and you look at other parts of the world that uh, America is, is far better off materialistically uh, than most anywhere in the world. Um, <clears throat> and you know, I read the, the, the passage here this morning and, and uh, I think it's important to just kind of note this morning that God does not condemn the rich for being rich. Um, God doesn't have a problem with rich people, and He doesn't look down at rich people with disdain and disgust because, oh man, you have so much money. The reality is God knows they have money. He allowed them the opportunity to make that money. Um, And really, if you look at the Scriptures, some of the godliest people in the Bible were rich. David, a man after God's own heart, was very wealthy. Um, You think of Abraham and Joseph, and and I I think if you look at Scripture, Barnabas, Barnabas was probably pretty well off. I mean, he sold some things, and he gave the the proceeds to the church. Um, And there's Lydia, the seller of purple, and Philemon. Uh, There are several examples that we can look at of folks that were wealthy in the Bible. Uh, And they honored God with their lives, uh, by and large, for the most part. Uh, So God does not have a disdain for those that are rich. Um, But we do know that Christ speaks that there's a difficulty for those that are rich to be saved. In Matthew chapter 19... Uh, verses 23 through 26, we see that where Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for the rich. But then in the, the, the disciples were marveled, they were just blown away. Well, who can be saved then? And of course, we know the famous words that with men it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so, um, but a lot of times the reality is wealth or riches hinder individuals' walk with God or their ability to turn to God because they sometimes don't think they need him. Because they are well off. They've been so blessed. They have everything that they need. They don't think they need God. And so uh, as we consider this passage a little more closely today, we're going we're to look at four questions. Who is James addressing in the passage, right? Who's he talking to? As I was preparing and, and looking into this, I thought there was, uh, that was worth noting. And it, at first, I'm like, who's he talking to? Is he talking to the Christians here? Uh, and oftentimes, and we'll kind of look at that. I don't want to get too far ahead. Uh, but he, oftentimes, he references the brethren, uh, in this passage, but in this one, uh, he doesn't necessarily do that. And then, what's in store for these rich people? And then, why is God condemning or why is he angry with these people or why is James condemning them? And then, uh, I'll hopefully get a few applications for us today. So, verse one Who is James talking to? Go to now, ye rich men. So, obviously, it's rich men uh, that he's talking to. Are they Christians? Um, are these the rich who have been guilty of oppressing their brethren? Um, uh, possibly. Uh, I think it's, it's probably more unlikely, and here's a few reasons, right? And as I mentioned, they are addressed, uh, they're not addressed as brethren specifically here in, in the beginning of this chapter. So we know in chapter 1 of verse 2, it says, My brethren counted all joy, and so there were several times that he addressed the brethren specifically within this, this writing. Now, we do know in James chapter 1, verse 1, it says, James is servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes. So he's speaking, obviously, to the 12 tribes. But within the tribes, that doesn't mean they're all believers. Uh, so perhaps he's writing to some that are not believers here, uh, which I tend to uh, believe. To some extent, however, I don't know if we can say that James was writing to these unbelieving Jews as he was writing to the church because how how much faith would he have that these unbelievers are going to read that? Um, so I, I don't necessarily think he was writing directly to those. I think he was going to make an application uh, for the believers, and hopefully I'll tie that in here in a moment. So, But he addresses the brethren several times. Chapter 1, verse 2. Chapter 1, verse 19. Chapter 2, verse 1 and chapter 2, verse 14, chapter 3, verse 1, and chapter 3, verse 10, and then uh, chapter 4, verse 11 also. So there are many times where he refers to the brethren here, and he doesn't do that in chapter 5, in, in verse 1, and when he begins to address these rich men. And so I, I don't think he's <clears throat> directly talking to the Christians that had a problem with oppressing their brethren. Um, certainly, if that was taking place, uh in the church, James would have addressed that, I think. So um, it might be a little more broad application where he's able to address several different categories of individuals. Um, and again, there's no call to really repent of these things in this passage, uh, which is throughout his writing in the epistles, he encourages those to deal with those things uh, and to make those things right. He doesn't necessarily do that. Here's really just only a condemnation to these rich uh, men and how they were conducting themselves. Um And in this passage, he addresses the brethren all the way down in chapter 7, which we're not going to spend a lot of time and look at that too much today. But it says, be patient, therefore, brethren. And so I think he's addressing these unbelieving uh, Jews that were oppressing them uh, and trying to encourage them. I think it's more likely that he's addressing rich unbelievers who had been oppressing the Christians. I think that's the folks that he's talking about trying to encourage the saints. Hopefully that makes sense. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Uh, I think that's what he's trying to do here. Um, Some of you look like you're tracking like a freight train on a dirt road, right? You're supposed to be on the tracks, all right? I want to make sure you're... So uh, sometimes I know I'm not the most articulate. So, but to sum it all up, I think he's addressing rich unbelievers who have been oppressing the Christians. And look at chapter 2 and verse 6, if you would and I think we can draw on this in this thought because of this, but ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? And so uh, there's been some things going on that James has addressed throughout this epistle that have been taking place. And so the context, I believe, is there are these rich unbelievers that have used their money ungodly. Uh, They've acquired it in an ungodly way and they've oppressed Christians. And so I really think that this tirade of judgment uh, upon these individuals appears to serve as the purpose of comforting the brethren uh, who were being oppressed. And that's where the Lord says to be patient in verse 7. Listen, there might be some rich people oppressing you. There might be some, some hardships you're facing, but be patient. Um, and, and it goes on and it says uh, about the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. And, and so I think he's just using this as an example to encourage them to be patient and trust the Lord. Um, and so who is he writing it to? I believe he's writing it to the believers, but he's used an example of how these unbelievers uh, have uh, squandered their wealth or gotten, ill-gotten gain, I guess you would say. Bottom line is, the passage, whether it does not speak directly in reference to the rich Christians, because uh, I believe as American Christians, we're very rich, regardless of what your annual income is. I would say every person in this room is rich when you look at the standards uh, of history and when you look at throughout uh, the average income of an individual in the world. Uh, So I think there are still some things that we can draw out of this and that we ought to take heed uh, to from this passage. And so what is in store for these individuals, these rich men, uh, these really oppressors, uh, based on their how they have acquired their wealth and how they've maintained their wealth and how they've used their wealth, and so verses one through C it says, "Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries uh, that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall <clears throat> excuse me, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire." And so, uh, miseries is what's in store for these individuals. And so certain are the miseries, uh, James speaks of them already occurring. He says, your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Their gold and silver are cankered. Those things that you have are already corroding. Uh, there's corrosion in the midst. When, uh, <clears throat> when this corrosion occurs in their riches, uh, it will serve as a witness against them. Uh, it says that they were guilty of the things to be mentioned shortly. So we, uh, of the things that we're going to look at here in a moment of how they got their riches and how they maintained their riches and used their riches, uh, they were guilty of these things and there was corrosion due to it. Uh, and it says in that passage we just read, it's like a fire. Uh, the anguish and misery of poverty usually affects the hardest to those that were once rich. Um, when poverty strikes... It will make those weep and howl as though they were on fire. And I don't know uh, any of you that maybe were what more well off than you are today, but it is difficult to go from a certain income to a lesser income. It, it's hurtful. You weep and you howl. And so uh, these miseries were projected for these rich men. Uh, they're going to weep and howl. Their miseries are upon them. Um, and I'll save that thought for later. <clears throat> I don't want to get ahead of my notes. These, I, I came across these thoughts here, and, and I will, I'll share them with you, and I don't know if we can be dogmatic about it, but these miseries spoken here may have been a reference to what later occurred in the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. Um, not long after the epistle is written here, uh, Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. And uh, so at that time, no doubt many of the rich Jews who had oppressed others, uh, other, who would oppress the Christians or, or the brethren, uh, probably literally wept and howled for the things that they were losing, uh, as Jerusalem was overthrown. And, and uh, what they failed to realize was they had heaped up treasures in the last days. So whether it's a direct reference to the, to the fall of Jerusalem, I don't think we can be dogmatic and say that. Um, but like, man, like the man in the parable of the rich man in, in Luke chapter 12, they had stored up and they were laying up for the latter days. And we know in Luke chapter 12, he's called a fool because his soul was going to be required of him. And so these rich men were fools, really. Really? Uh, the last days may have been, obviously the last days of the Jewish economy in 80-70 were there. Uh, when Jerusalem was overthrown and, and uh, <clears throat> they had been so busy storing up wealth. Uh, listen, there's some today that store up for retirement and then they die before retirement. I, I think James is addressing individuals that have their heart set on gain. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Their heart is focused on the material things, the wealth of this world. And he's condemning them very strongly for that. And I want to remind you, Proverbs 11, Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death. Listen this morning, the riches that we have today, the things that we enjoy, enjoy and really we take for granted and we just assume they're always going to be there here in America, they will mean nothing when the times get hard. We make the assumption that America will be on the map for history. There could be an invading nation that could come suppress our American economy and all those 401Ks, those IRAs, and all those things that we put our confidence in that when I get old and I get gray... I'm going to be able to sit at home and, and on the Lazy Boy and at ease because I've saved up. There's no guarantee that those will be there. And so I want to encourage you this morning to put your focus where it ought to be. And hopefully as we get to the end of this, we'll draw out the application. And, and I'm not saying you can't have a savings account. I'm not saying you shouldn't be saving for retirement. That's not what I'm saying. Those things are wise. And, and, and there's biblical principles about finance that would encourage us to do that but we need to ensure that our heart's in the right place yeah. Yeah. when we do those things. Right. It, it ought not be for the sake of getting rich. He that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. The miseries that came upon these rich people were terrible indeed. I think you can make the application of when uh, Jerusalem was, was uh, taken. Uh, many obviously lost a lot there. Uh, But even if it didn't come into the destruction of Jerusalem, it certainly came when they died. Uh, At some point in life, whether it's while we're living and our riches are taken or at the point of death, listen, naked we came in and naked we're going out. We cannot take any of it with us. Uh, We would do well to remember that. And so uh, it came upon them when they died, certainly those miseries. And, And I've heard of many folks that in their deathbed, have lived a life of nothing but regret, thinking all these things that I've amassed, all this wealth that I have, and here I am in my deathbed and it's doing me no good. How much worse for us as Christians to be in that situation? Uh, don't forget Luke 16, uh, the rich man and Lazarus there. That man, Laz- uh, the rich man there, he dies and, and immediately he realizes, whoa. He didn't ask to send Lazarus back to tell his family to store up more money. He said, go tell them. And of course, you know the story. They're, uh, they're not going to hear because if they haven't heard the prophets and those things. But, um, <clears throat> so why is James condemning or is God angry with these rich people? Uh, we know that God doesn't just hate rich people because they have money. I believe it's because of how they earn their wealth. Look at verse 4. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. They had gotten their wealth by wicked means. They had done people wrong. Uh, Bad business, you could say. Uh, They were withholding wages from those who had worked for them. And the scripture here says that the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is uh, kept back by fraud, crieth. And so those wages that they're holding back are crying out to the Lord. And then also those individuals and the cries of them which have reaped and are entered into the ears of the Lord. So these situations are coming before the Lord. He's aware of it. Uh, Listen, in our business transactions, we ought to be straight and upfront and honest in all of it. Uh, just because there's a loophole somewhere doesn't mean we ought to walk through that. A- as believers, we ought to be straight up. Uh, people ought to understand what they're getting from us. And we ought to be, And if we're on the laboring side of it, we ought to be given a good day's labor for what we're being paid. Um, Leviticus 19.13 says this, Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor. Neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide uh, with thee all night until the morning. And so in the Levitical law, they they were told not to hold back. If somebody labors for you, pay him. Uh, Pay him that day. Don't wait till morning. Uh, Pay him uh, what is due to them. Deuteronomy 24, verses 14 and 15. Thou shalt not oppress an hired servant that is poor and needy, whether he be uh, of thy brethren or of thy strangers that are in thy land within thy gates. Excuse me, at his day thou shalt give him his hire. Neither shall the sun go down upon it, for he is poor and setteth his heart upon it. Look what it says, lest he cry against thee unto the Lord and it be sin unto thee. And so I believe that these rich men here were being condemned because of the sinful way that they had acquired their wealth. They were taking advantage of people, they were defrauding them, they weren't paying them their due. Uh, and the word of God tells us that God is attentive to those cries. God will be, and it says the Lord of Sabbath. The idea there is the God Almighty. So you have these poor people that aren't able to uh, to take care of themselves, or they're not able to take any action to get what's required of them, because maybe they're of lower means. But listen, God Almighty will handle that transaction for them, and He will make sure they get what they are owed. And oftentimes, at the expense of the wicked rich. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous, I believe the Bible says. But uh, just as some people today get rich through dishonest schemes or unjust practices. We see it all the time in our society today. You know, these uh, hedge fund managers and all these people that they are just taking advantage of people. Um, What was it, the Enron deal uh, several years ago and those kind of things. And people just uh, taking advantage. Um, And so... Uh, we ought to be the best example of doing right by others in how we conduct business. The people of God, the believers, ought to be the best example. There should be nothing uh, that would be uh, called into question because we're being upfront and straightforward and upright in all of our dealings. Uh, so they, they got their wealth, uh, ill-gotten gains, I guess you could say, but they also used their wealth uh, in a wicked manner. They hoarded their wealth. Look at verse 3b, the latter part of that verse. You have heaped up treasures together for the last days. They spent it on themselves with pleasure and excess of luxury. Look at chapter 5. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. The idea there of living in wanton I found was interesting. It says indulging in sensuality without restraint. So these rich people were living just in pleasures, in excess of luxury. It says they were fattening themselves as in the day of slaughter, really living every day like it's a feast day, living every day like it's a festival, uh, and just in, in just excess and in wanting without restraint. They were taking this money and just living life up. That's not right for the believer. That's, really, it's not right for anyone, but uh, especially for those in Christ, it's not right. They use the power that comes with wealth to oppress the just. And uh, verse 6, well, I'm just going to kind of touch on this because I uh, haven't fully studied it out, but I think there's, uh, it says, you have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. That, I believe, might be a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, the just uh, condemning him to death. Uh, don't, don't pin me down on that. I haven't really studied it, but I definitely think you can make that as the rich Uh, unjust Jews at the time uh, were those that put Christ on the cross. I think you can make that application. But again, I haven't studied it very well. But at the bare minimum, they had oppressed Christians. uh, And it sounds like they had put some to death. Uh, And so the manner in which they got their wealth and they used it caused those who were oppressed to cry out to the Lord in their prayers. So we see that in verse 4. It says, Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down their fe- your fields, which is of you which is of you, kept back by fraud, crieth. And so these laborers or these, these wages, these hire of the laborers, the wages are crying. And it says, The cries of them which have reaped. So those individuals that had labored have cried to the Lord. And he's heard it. And God is about to bring judgment upon those rich oppressors. Uh, they, those cries have made it to God Almighty. And listen, this morning, I don't... I mean, I trust you guys are all upright in your business transactions. You're giving your boss a, a fair day's wage or labor for the wage that you get. If you're an employer, uh, I trust that you're taking care of your employees. Uh, but the reality is, if you're not, God will hold you accountable for those things. The cries of those wages goes up before God and the cries of the individuals that had labored. God is keeping account Uh, If you're not doing that good of keeping account, you ought to uh, do better. And so how can we make some application this morning to our lives? What applications can we draw from this? We need to be careful how we obtain our wealth. There's a way to get wealth that is ungodly. It is wrong To think that success can only come by stepping on others. I know in our, I know in the military community, uh, it's very common. It's so frustrating sometimes. You get a new commander, right? And he always has to outdo the last commander because he's trying to get promoted, right? And so what does he do? He drives his people into the ground a lot of times. Like he's expecting more than, you know, when the last commander was rewarded for having such a great organization that was so, it was optimized and things were running great. But this guy's got to do better than that because he's trying to get a his his uh, a strat on his OPR so we can get promoted. And so we need to be careful that we're not just cramming the people below us or even above us taking advantage of them uh, just to get gain. To do, to get gain at the expense of others will brings God's wrath. We looked at Deuteronomy 24, 14 through 15 uh, a few moments ago. God is keeping account of these things. And God will reckon uh, with you on those things. And it's wrong for you to do that. I think this is an appropriate place to be reminded of what Paul teaches in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 11 says this, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And in many foolish, hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But that will, man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Again, it's not riches that are wrong, but the desire to be rich. It's wrought with danger. Paul cautions Timothy to be careful. But they that will be rich, those desiring and they're seeking after to be rich. And, and really, the, what does he say in the latter part? It says, But, O oh man of God, what should the man of God be doing? He should be fleeing those things, but following after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. So we need to set our focus on something other than the gain of this world. Where's your focus this morning? Are you working your job, trying to get a raise just so you can make more money? Or are you really seeking after faith and meekness and those things that we ought to be seeking after as a man of God? Listen, again, riches aren't wrong if they're the byproduct of our endeavors and not the goal. Riches ought not be your goal. I have three boys. Caleb is going to go to Western Dakota Tech, Lord willing, here in the fall. And uh, he has an opportunity to enter in a very promising industry. Uh, he's very mechanically minded. He's going to train to be a diesel mechanic and, and those things. And when I tell my family back home, right, we just went on the trip back home. And thought, oh, man, there's a lot of money in that. That's the first thing everybody says is there's a lot of money in that. You can really make a lot of money. Everybody's concerned about what we're going to make. Listen, for the Christian, that ought not be our focus. Now, that doesn't mean we can't learn some trades or or acquire some skills. Listen, that we could further the gospel. Uh, And there's nothing wrong with being rich. But that ought to be a byproduct of our Christian character because we're honoring God with our life. That ought not be the focus, but a byproduct of us trying to serve our God to enter any profession solely because of one's goal to get rich, I caution you, you're going to be ensnared. We just looked at 1 Timothy. There's nothing but trouble and trial and according to James, a lot of miseries uh, if you head down that road. So how do we obtain our wealth? We do it honestly. Uh, We get compensated for a job well done. That's what pleases God. Now if you make a, Pile of cash doing it, praise the Lord. You know, there's nothing wrong with having a big fat paycheck every week. Uh, but please, please, I listen, we often tell our young people that. In the teen class, right? They're, they're always, boy, you got a lot of decisions to make as a young person. But you know what? There are many adults sitting in our churches across America that are making fat stacks of money and they're doing very little for God but their conscience is soothed because they're in the pew every week. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, what's your focus this morning? And we need to be careful how we use our wealth. To spend it on luxurious and living when others are suffering, that's exactly what James is addressing in this passage. Those the rich men that are living life, living it up, they have all this cash and there's people that are, that are in want and are in need, and they're defrauding them and not even paying those laborers. And so for us to, to live in wealth and not be concerned with those that are in need, I think that's an indication of where our heart is. And our heart would not be in the right place if, you're, if you could say that of yourself, that you're just living it up. James. That's exactly what James is addressing here. It's an indication of lack of love of God. First John three seventeen. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Listen, if you're living life up and and you're just uh, living in luxury, you got more than you need, and you don't care about the things of others that are in need, that's an indication that you're not walking with God like you ought to be. How's your walk with God this morning? Listen, Scripture is clear. It teaches the purpose for work is not to obtain wealth for our own gratification. That's not the purpose of it, but to help those that may have a little bit less. As we close here this morning, I'll give you a couple verses. I'll read them to you rather quickly. But Paul commands this in Ephesians 4.28. Let him that steal stole no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands uh, the things which is good that he may... Have to give to him that needeth. Boy, the guy that used to be a thief. Well, he ought to get to work so he can help others. First Timothy six seventeen through 19. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Listen, the eternal things that are at stake here are far more important. And, And where you invest your money today, the stock market as you try to lay it up and it does no good for you versus communicating and distributing it to others, you'll get the reward in eternity. I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed in that return. You might be disappointed. I know the stocks are kind of rough right now looking at retirement accounts. It's like, whoa, Listen, but if you invest in eternity, you will not be disappointed. Uh, The Bible's very clear on that. Paul, so he commands this, but he exemplified it as well. Acts chapter 20, verses 34 and 35, look what it says. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities, and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord, how he said, It is more blessed... To give than to receive. Listen, it's far better to be communicating and distributing those things that you have rather than receiving it. Living in a country and a society in which we do today, we have a lot to be thankful for. We are so abundantly blessed here, but we also have a lot to be aware of. There's a lot of potential pitfalls for those that are wealthy. And listen, in our society and in our day, it's not sin to be covetousness or to desire riches. The Bible teaches that, but our society doesn't support that. They think that's what it's all about. And so we need to understand that and be careful of that. And listen, God help us to use our wealth for his glory. And I want to remind you of how two weeks ago we closed out the lesson, James 4, 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, To him it is sin. Boy, if you're laying up for yourself and not ready to distribute, it's sin. God help us to manage our money wisely and for his glory. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would use this lesson to be an encouragement. And Lord, I pray that each one of us would be faithful. Lord, to use our riches. Lord, I truly believe we are rich. That we would use our riches to be a blessing to others, Lord, and that it would honor and glorify you in all that we do. And we'll thank you for it. We pray for your blessing on the morning service. Pray that you would be with Brother Brock as he preaches, that you would anoint him, give the word of God liberty. And I pray that you would just have your way in our midst today and that souls would be saved and lives changed. And we'll give you the thanks and the glory for all of it. In Jesus' name, amen.